Good morning. Good morning, all. Welcome back to Breakdowns for Breakfast. And on this episode of Breakdowns for Breakfast, we're going to be talking an album. One of my favorite albums of the 90s, the mid-90s, came out in 97, Radiohead's OK Computer. But in order to discuss OK Computer, I have to do this discussion with somebody else because it's just talking to myself at that point. And that's just weird. We don't want to hear me talking to myself. So as always, I am here with Monster. Monster, say hello to the people waking up and going off to work. Maybe. Are you? Good morning, everyone. I hope you're uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I hope your coffee is strong and you're ready to tackle the day and start your day off with a quick little discussion about some 90s alternative rock. <laughs> so that that phrase, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, I've always wondered what it is. Like, where does that term come from? I know I could look it up, but the etymology of that. Bunny I, rabbits. I heard a comedian years ago say, what is bright-eyed and bushy-tailed? That's not waking up. That's a squirrel on crack. You know. It is. Yeah. But anyway, so 1997's Radiohead, 1997 Radiohead put out OK Computer. I am going to mix up my words all over the place today, but we are going to power through this. <laughs> Monster, what was your experience with Radiohead and or this album before we decided to listen to this album intently <laughs> and purposely and talk about it today? So when I was a kid, especially like early to mid 90s, I listened to 94.5 The Rock Alternative, which was our, you know, local rock station. It was um, it was a great station. God, it was so good. And uh that's where I discovered a lot of these bands from the 90s that I, you know, would continue to listen to to today. And um Radiohead was not one that I listened to very often. I heard the singles, I heard Obviously, Creep from Pablo Honey. I think everybody's and, heard uh, Creep or a cover of it. Yeah, pretty much. And then so I heard the couple of singles off of this record as well, but I never, ever, ever actually listened to a Radiohead album from start to finish until you brought this up. So I did listen to Pablo Honey to kind of hear where they went to OK Computer. And then I started Kid A. And um, I don't, we don't need to talk about Kid A. We'll just talk about OK Computer. <laughs> was, and I, I don't want to have a Kid A discussion, but was there another album after this? I feel like there was another album after this before Kid A. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, honestly, you would know better than I would. I thought that it went Pablo Honey, OK Computer, and then Kid A, but there might be, there might have been something else in there. There may have um, been. I'm not sure. But uh, but as far as this album goes, I had I remember seeing the video for Paranoid Android probably ten million times. I absolutely love that music video. Yep that um, that music video is something special all in itself. I love that yeah. video. It's um, Radiohead is an art installation. <laughs> And, you know, their albums yeah. listen like art installations, which is actually something I have in my notes at some point. But that video is a great, you know, uh, visualization of what Radiohead is. They're going to. But as far as, yeah. So as far as yeah. my relationship with this album, that music video. Yep. That's fair. I, I love that song. I love that video. Uh, but yeah, it, I never really listened to the rest of the record until doing this. That's fair. And I know that you've got feelings about this album now and, you know, and you are a person that 
uh, you know, will take on an album earnestly and give it a fair shake. And yes, one of the things I appreciate about you and one of the reasons why we do this. And, you know, so uh, I know that this album isn't your bouncy, fun stuff that you like to listen to. Mm -hmm. It's not bouncy and fun at all. If I had to describe this album, it would be three different words. Uh, anxious, paranoid, and claustrophobic. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. Um, and and if I can just get one thing out in the open. Sure. Just to, just to clarify before we even get started. I do not like Tom York's voice. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. A lot of people don't. And that is one of the things that I've... Uh, you know, I don't want to sound like a broken record and bring it up over and over and over. So just let me get it out there in the open now. I don't like the way he sings. I see why other people could, but it's not for me. And that definitely colored my opinion on a few of these songs. No, and that's fine. And I realized something actually in listening to this because I know his voice rubs people the wrong way. And what I've realized is that I can actually listen to one of those bands like Rush or Coheating Cambria or name the band where the singer has a strange voice. Mm -hmm. If the music is good behind it, I can almost excuse the voice and find a reason for the voice to fit the music. It's like mm -hmm. if the voice is as strange or eccentric, I don't know, pick your word, as the music is. Because this album, the music behind this is is strange. It's weird. It's all over the place, but it's very well crafted. And I feel like his voice does slide in in the right place, but it is not for everybody. I will say that for sure. I agree kind of 50-50 with you. Okay, I, uh, that's fine. Yeah, I, I, I agree that at times his voice does slot in well and it, it's appropriate. And then there's other times where... I, I would like the song more personally. I would like the song more had the vocal delivery tried something different. Um, and I, I understand that. And I'm interested to hear where you think that would uh, fit, where the change would be better. I think that there are times and I'm not going to be not critical of this album or Radiohead yeah. at all. I'm going to be more positive about it, obviously. But, yeah. you know, it's his voice is hard to chew on. It is. And there's sometimes where I don't feel like he needed to uh, savor every syllable. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. He's very, um, it, it's not that it's monotone, but he's very, um, okay. He's very unenthusiastic. He sounds very lethargic in his delivery. And a lot of times um, he sounds depressed. Yes. And I get that's, what they're going for and on certain songs that's appropriate but then on other songs it's like well i you know we'll and i'm sure we'll do some track by track you know kind of getting into each song mm -hmm. so not to jump super far to the end here but track 10 no surprises is the one that's the most egregious to me because the music on that one is beautiful mm -hmm. and it's heartbreaking and his vocal is just, and for me, just sucks sucks me right out of it. Because That's fine. It's just, That's fine. The music and the vocals just clash in such a way that it's it's uncomfortable and it it loses me. I get that. 
And on the previous episode, I ended the episode by saying that I feel like this is one of the more important albums to 90s music. Mm-hmm. And to support that, what what I think that this album did was this album, I feel like, really pushed things in a direction for 90s alt-rock, really. you know, And it pushed things in a direction that they weren't going. And it is responsible for what I feel like was a change in 90s pop rock sound. You saw a lot of people really change their sound. You really saw a change in production styles. And I feel like this is, and I know that some bands that were labeled early emo, the more, the softer side of emo, the less screamo. I feel like this is one of the things that really pushed a big change in the emo sound because there were a lot of, sad, depressed kids (laughs) that liked emo that also heard this. It was like, Ooh, we can mix acoustic with electric stuff. And I feel like that this album in itself was an important piece of the evolution of music in the nineties. One thing that I find is really interesting. And I know everybody's going to be like monster, shut the hell up. We don't care. But what I thought was really interesting is 311's record, Transistor, came out the same year. And both of those albums, like, this is like this, uh, OK Computer's like the cynical older brother mm-hmm. who has seen some shit and is not very happy. And then 311's like the ADHD, like, little brother who's just happy to be there. But they share the same sonic landscape of all the bleeps and bloops and trippy sound effects. And I, I think it's, I just thought it was fascinating that these came out in the same year. So the way I would actually compare the two, and you're not wrong, and I think Transistor actually had a lot to do with, I think 97 was a great year for music, uh, for rock music. But if 311's Transistor was a freshman in high school, OK Computer just came back from Desert Storm. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. Yeah, I, I can see that. And also, I think... One of the biggest influences on this record that I hear, it it took me a couple listens before I put my finger on it. I hear a lot of Pink Floyd. I hear uh, I hear a lot of that style of classic rock yep. mixed in here. And I actually put that on a few songs that really jumped out at me. That it was it was almost an inspiration, but an inspiration that they tried to use more of, like yeah, it use doesn't the, beat you over the head arrangement. Yeah. Let's put it that way. So you're right. It doesn't beat you over the head. So, all right, let's talk about the tracks. All right. So, and I'm not going to do a track by track because I don't feel like it needs it on this one, but you know, based on conversations we've had in the past, we may end up doing it, but who knows? So, well, so, so let me tell you, so let me start off by saying this. All right. Never heard this album before. I yep. was familiar with the couple of singles and I didn't know what to expect because mm-hmm. You know, if Paranoid Android is what you've heard off this album. It's there, not this that's album. Like, that's there's three songs in that one song, so right. you don't really know what's going to happen. So, Airbag, Paranoid Android, Subterranean, Homesick Alien, I'm all in. All yeah. three of those songs, I'm having a great time. Okay, I wait, like- wait. You said, um, you said Paranoid Android. Um, Subterranean. Uh, 
what else? The first song, Airbag. Airbag. Okay. Then Paranoid, and then Subterranean. So the first block of this album yes. jumped out. I okay. Was all in. I was all in. I was and having a great time. It's it's a great opening part for this album. It's it's it really is a great section. And I have to agree with you. Those songs are great. I I do love those songs all together. But I do want to kind of break down those songs a little bit more. So. Sure. What did you like about Airbag? What was it that jumped out at you about Airbag? I I thought this one was, it reminded me of a more interesting Oasis. Like it had that Mm -hmm. bright Brit pop to it, there were some interesting chord progressions. It was bright and shimmery, but there was sort of this darkness under it. And I like his vocals on this one. This is one where the way he sings works, but I, I like that one. Like I thought it was a good opener as far as it's got some of the trippy bleeps and bloops, but it's also, you can hear the song and there's a structure to it. So the thing about airbag is airbag is, and a complete analog song, but it's constructed completely with computers. It's like they played everything they wanted it to, the computer to do. And then I know for a fact, the drums were played individually and then constructed into a beat. So they didn't use a drum machine per se. They used the drummer and then they constructed his drums in a, a way that worked for this song with the computer. What are your thoughts on that as a musician, like a drum machine as opposed to a real drummer sort of thing? Cause I know that there's a, there's a big fight about that. I've never been one to be opposed to using technology to your advantage to, right. to make music. Uh, I think there is such a thing as kind of overproducing something to where you kind of suck the life out of it. But a band that I, I loved from kind of this era was Fear Factory. And mm-hmm. their their big thing is the the drums on those records sound impossible to play. And they are. that's because we're done on a keyboard right. and live. I've, I've always heard that they wouldn't put anything on the record that you couldn't, an actual human couldn't do live. But some of that stuff is crazy what they do on the kick drum. But oh, yeah. anyway, so I'm not opposed to that. Uh, I think that if you can use the technology in your advantage to create something interesting, then go for it. It's the people that, um, rely on it to do the records is when I'm start to kind of lose interest. Yeah, no, that's, that's fine. I, uh, I'm just always curious on what some people think about that, but something I thought that was interesting is within this, and this is really only something I picked up more listening to the album with your headphones, which I'm going to go ahead and say right now, this album is completely different through headphones than it is through speakers. It's, mm-hmm. I think it, you kind of get sort of the same feel, but it's, completely different through headphones but something i picked up the headphones is there's a damn cello in the song yeah yeah there is you're right uh there's definitely some string accompaniment in the background there so as far as an opener for this album you like it you're good with it yep yep i think that this uh the this as an opener tells you exactly what you're getting 
even down to the lyrical content of it. I mean, it's a song about uh, dying in a car crash and then being, you know, and being reincarnated. And it made me think of uh, the Fight Club quote from when Tyler and uh, the narrator, Jack, what are you going to call him? They meet for the first time on an airplane. And Spoilers. the movie, it came out in 1998, I think. It, yeah. Yeah. We're past it. But no spoilers. But uh, he uh, he says, you know, they're on the airplane. He says an exit or procedure at 30,000 feet, the illusion of safety, which is true because, you know, you can make a car as safe as you want. But if you get hit by a, a dump truck and a Pinto, then you're not going to fare well. I thought you were going to bring up the quote about um, when you pass someone who's sitting down, do you give them the front or the back? No, no, that's <laughs> that's not the one I was going to go with. But okay, fair uh, enough. And that I believe is just in the movie, not in the book. I haven't read the book in a long time, but um, oh, I I don't know. I haven't read the book. The the book's wildly different, and I'm a fan of both. Heard, of them, yeah. So. Anyway, all right. So you were a fan of one, two, and three. So we are going to hit on all of those. So number two, paranoid and paranoid android. This was a contender for the greatest song of the 90s, in my opinion. I love this song. This is a great song. This was the lead single from it, from the album. And the crazy thing about it is nobody puts out a six and a half minute single, but they did. But it's also, it's the longest song on the album. And it's also a long song for Radiohead. They Radiohead has songs this long, but they're not that long. I mean, their their yeah. songs are typically not that long. The one thing about this album or this song, excuse me, is it's got a multi part structure to it. It's you know definitely has movements that flow into and from each part, but then don't, but still work together. And I'm not a fan of fake endings that this song has this album has a couple songs that do that unless you're creating movements for for the album but then also am i wrong in hearing that that's an acoustic bass in that song so there's so much going on in this song there is i I would imagine yeah there's probably i just off the top of my head i'd guess there's probably eight different guitar tracks going on because you you hear all kinds of stuff going on it's it's a weird song that somehow captures like it's kind of whimsical, but it's dark. Like and and yeah, even at almost seven minutes, I there's one there's one section, the section that starts around the uh, three minute and thirty eight second mark, where it gets it's like the real trippy little section. That part to me could have been shrunk a little, but other than that, yeah. like doesn't feel like a long song. And when you watch the video that accompanies it, that's a ride. That that's a good time. Um, I like this one a lot, and I remember as soon as this song started, I immediately was like, "Oh yeah, God, I forgot how much I love this song." Oh, yeah. yeah, it it makes sense that this would be a, a single, even though it is kind of long, and that. That's such a good riff. That's, oh yeah, it's. I, I love riffs. Like, oh yeah, I, I will dissect songs and albums or whatever. But at the end of the day, I love a good riff, and that is a good riff. Oh yeah, no, it it is. It's it's a riff that grabs your attention right off the bat, and 
like that riff actually to me sounds like the beginning of a heist movie. <laughs> Not like a yeah, Mission sure, Impossible sure. type thing, but like that, you know, and even into the next part where it begins to get chaotic mm-hmm. and it, it That's just the shootout part. Right, right. <laughs> it's a very quick heist. It it goes south really quick. So and you I can't remember what it was that you had oh, it was on uh the first episode we did, Finch's um the uh, the casket uh titled yeah. song. I can't remember. Um do you know what this song title's reference to? No. So the title is actually a reference to uh Android from Hitchhiker's Guide. The, okay. Yeah. Okay. If you haven't read the book, I recommend it. The the book is really good, but also the movie that came out with Martin Freeman and Most Def. It's a really good adaptation yeah. of it. I recommend it. Okay. So, but all right. And you also really liked uh, number three, Subterranean Homesick Alien. I feel like Subterranean is a great track placement. Actually, I, I am a fan of the track placement on this album overall. That's been a criticism I've had of ones we've done in the past. But mm-hmm. Subterranean does a great job of releasing <laughs> the chaotic pressure valve <laughs> that yeah. that Paranoid Android created. And if you're listening to it all in one, it's like, you get to the end of it and you don't realize that you're like, oh man, okay. And then Subterranean comes on, you're like, okay. And I think that might be one of the reasons why you like it because it flows really well. It does flow really well. And this song just has this fun, trippy atmosphere that I think really, like you said, it feels good coming out of Paranoid Android being such, I don't want to say a heavy song, but it's a dense song. And then mm-hmm. this one is very light. There is a, you know, a, a structure to it, but it just kind of washes over you. This is one, this could have been on Transistor by 311. Like this feels like that record. So this one totally worked for me. It's got the little, real simple little lead lines with the little atmosphere, spacey sounds. I, this was a, yeah, I was, I really enjoyed this. This one felt very warm. Like it felt like, like I said, it just kind of washes over you. Yeah. And I found the song kind of teetered between just like well-crafted acoustic guitars, heavy riffs. And then what I come, uh, I, I came to like piece together as goth prog. <laughs> goth prog. Yeah. That's a, that's a new one. I yeah. like that. You go with that. I um, Synthy goth prog. Yep. So, and this album shows how to use a synth, not, not like straightforward, just keyboard synth. I'm talking about like, uh, I saw an interview with David Bowie years ago where he was talking about mm-hmm. recording one of his albums and he was like, we started playing around with the synth and like, like, you know, the switchboard, like a plug in yeah, and a plug in. Yeah. He's like, we made this thing fart eventually. And you know, the, this album does that. This album really shows how a synth can be used especially in recording drum tracks and then reassembling them. So not to go off on a huge tangent here, but Mick Gordon is one of my favorite musicians and he, he does a lot of video game work and stuff. 
if you're interested to see what you can do with a synth and like computer stuff, he did a, it's only like maybe 20 minutes long, little documentary on how he made the music for Doom 2016. Okay. And it's I a knew I knew the name. I couldn't place where, but no, yeah. I got it. Uh, it's basically a combination of eight string guitars and like Soviet Russia era synth machines that he's like wiring backwards and like doing all yeah. this like horrible stuff to and it creates this ridiculous soundscape it's it's funny what you can do when you uh use musical equipment incorrectly oh yeah oh yeah and i think that when you have somebody willing to do that is when you get something that really kind of shakes things up in a certain area and he did right. in the video game landscape yeah you know for sure video game soundtrack so we went through that first three block. Great block. Uh -huh. And yep. then exit music quotations for a film. Exit music for a film. And I find it interesting that this is not like this is where the album starts dropping off for you. And I'll tell you why. Because yes, this song is stark, it's somber, it's dark, and yes, it has that Pink Floyd feel. It mm -hmm. takes several minutes for a gradual buildup, drums kick in, Radiohead explodes in their peak on this song. And this song feels like that feeling that I've had of going to see a movie that doesn't end well, doesn't end the way that I want it to. And I leave, and then I walk down the long hallway and open the doors, and it's light outside. That's how this song feels to me. I was bored. <laughs> like, uh, I, it's not a terrible song. I mean, it, it's not. But for me, by the time it kicks in at about almost three minutes, it's like 2.50. I was, I was already, it was a little too little too late for me. I was kind of already It takes a long time it. to get there. Yeah, and for me, the kick-in wasn't memorable enough to, on subsequent listens, make me anticipate it. You know, like when we were talking about the Sleep Token records, Sleep Token has this way of building and building and building, and then when it kicks in, you know, it might take three, four, five minutes before it kicks in, mm -hmm. but then the kick-in, the payoff is so good in, in, to me, like the, my style, that I'm, I'm, on the, I'm waiting for it. I'm good with it. But with this one, I was just like, Ooh, like I don't know. This this is the kind of '90s shoegaze alternative that I don't connect with. So I thought that this song is intentional. the The buildup is well crafted, but I, I I'm right with you. It took too long to get there. This mm. is a song that could be shrunk by by a good bit. It's it is long. I don't like his vocal delivery on this song. Mm -hmm. It feels very whiny to me, but I do like his vocal delivery when the song picks up, you know, getting up to the build up. I wish it had been more music and less him, but mm -hmm. you know what? It came out in 97. They can't redo it, but it's, yeah. it's not a needed track, but mm -hmm. I do think that it's funny that, the first three songs are so good and so strong. And I feel like they do work together really well. And mm -hmm. then you get this song 
that feels like opening the doors after like after Avengers Endgame where it ended or not Endgame the one before that but it uh in right, Infinity right. War Forever Battle but in a way that I wasn't expecting and it was like damn it all right let's go back out into the world now and it's so I I find it funny that that's what that song is so and and so then coming out of that you get into letdown So I I feel like the production value that they did on his voice, I don't I don't think his delivery is great on this song, but I do think that they multi-tracked his voice, and you could definitely hear that in headphones. And he's duetting with himself. He's harmonizing with himself almost. But I do like the guitar work and what I felt like were drums played by Ringo Starr. This one is a jumbled mess. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, I'm I'm with you on that. And, and maybe again, that's one of those things that, you know, like the Beatles, Frank Zappa, all these like avant-garde musicians, when they make stuff that sounds like noise, you either go, wow, that's so interesting and incredible. Or you go, this sounds like noise. And for me, this was noise. Like it, it sounded like they had two songs. They wanted to do a bright Brit pop song and they wanted to do another trippy, spacey, dark song. And instead of doing two songs, they just played them at the same time. And no, the vocals don't work for me. That I don't, this is the radio head that does not work for me. So I, I'm, I'm with you on, on it sounds like noise, but I feel like it sounds like intentional noise. And I feel like this is one of the songs where the production style shines the brightest because they actually do something that, and I had to look into it because when I heard it, you know, I've listened to this album a couple of times now through headphones, just out of curiosity the first time. Then afterwards it was like, I need to do that again. Yeah. Yeah. So they actually do something that really wasn't done much at this time, which is a production style, you know, pioneered, or I don't want to say pioneered, but really, brought to life more by Phil Spector, which was the wall of sound. The wall Mm -hmm. of sound was not something you heard much at this point, which was something that I feel like Radiohead really did in the nineties, which was, uh, they pushed that we can get loud intentionally and Mm -hmm. we can get loud with purpose. And I feel like that's what they did. And I liked it. You know, they really employed a production style on this album as a whole. And I'm going to keep saying that I'm going to keep saying it, just get used to it. The fact that, you know, they multi-tracked his vocals and he's harmonizing and duetting with himself and the wall of sight. It's just the production value on the song. I think is great. I don't like the song though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't know, dude. It's, it's fine. Yeah. I just, to, you know, like, like I said, um, all of that, everything that you just said is true. All of that's in there. But does that make it an enjoyable song to listen to? No, it, at least not for me. And so what's interesting is after the complicated jumble that is let down, 
Karma Police is almost the exact opposite. This is what you get when you mess with us. Right. Because it's very stark. And I'll be honest, I remember hearing this one when I was a kid. And, you know, 15 years old, this is boring. Like, right. I'm, I'm not, that doesn't speak to me at all. As an adult, I hear the song craft in there and it's a catchy pop song very simple well written mm -hmm. i like it i don't love it but i like it right and you know this was one of the more conventional moments on this yeah. album it's more it, it was a single it was the second single for this album it did get heavy radio play it hit number eight in uk but it's not their most standout song to me and you know, one of the things about Radiohead is their radio songs are not their standout songs to me. No, all. no. they radio songs are fine. And that's the thing about this song is it's fine. You know, the it all originated actually the the Karma Police title actually all originated from uh, an in joke, uh, you know, an inside joke in the band where Johnny Greenwood in the band, he, uh, he said, whenever someone was behaving in a particularly shitty way, we'd say the Karma Police will catch up to him sooner or later. Okay, cool. That doesn't make me like the song anymore. It's it, it's a fine song. Put it this way. I think most Radiohead fans are kind of like Tool fans or... Um, Coheed fans? You know, one of the... Kind of. Yeah, uh, I'll believe, I believe... Okay, I'm a Coheed fan, and I'm not one of the uh, shithead elitist Coheed fans, but no. when you have bands like this that create a mood with albums and stuff... You do have fans that are the elitist, like, no, it's good, man. It's good. Well, now listen, so, you don't get it, man. Right. The, and I guess the point that I'm trying to make is if you are a diehard Radiohead fan and this is the song people know by them, Creep, you know, like those are the songs people know. It's like, you don't, you're missing it. Like, that's not Radiohead. Like, that's. Right the single that's the right. radio song but just taking it for what it is it's not particularly interesting mm -hmm. it's not particularly standout-ish but it's a well-crafted simple pop song and it's fun right right it i feel like it was probably an album or excuse me a song written for the album that was we need to write a single Kinda, yeah. Yeah. Because Paranoid Android doesn't sound like a single. It just sounds like this is a special song. We're going to release it, and it's so good, people are going to play it. It's six and a half minutes long. Right. Where this, you're right. This sounds like well, let's let's write something short and catchy and simple that can, you know, coming off a creep, you know. Yeah, because that's still what everyone remembers. If they didn't catch right. the other single off this album, and to be honest, it's. It's a shame, but Radiohead's one of those bands that it's easy to miss the single if the single doesn't get picked up and played everywhere like Creep did. You know, Creep, I think, is the most well-known Radiohead song. Sure, sure. But Creep is not Radiohead by any means. It's It was very early Radiohead. <laughs> you know, very early single-minded Radiohead, let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it, I think, like, you know, later on we got um, 
oh hell, in Rainbows and Amnesiac, and those are great albums, which Amnesiac is pretty much just leftover Kid A stuff, you know. It's a great album, but I think I've only listened to it maybe twice. Okay. I don't have a need to go back to it. I have it upstairs, but I don't I don't need to go back to it. Anyway, we're not talking about Amnesiac. We're talking about OK Computer. All right. One that I was going to want to talk about, and I still want to talk about, track seven, Fitter Happier. Getting on better with your associate employee contemporaries, at ease, eating well, no more microwave dinners and saturated fats, a patient better driver, a safer car, baby smiling and It's just a weird little interlude that got stuck in the album. It's just words put into uh, Macintosh's synthesized voice, Fred, that doesn't exist anymore. Okay. And uh, it was all put out. And it was all these kind of odd statements about what this album was supposed to be about in, in its entirety, technology, conformity, creeping fascism, emotional emptiness, and pragmatism over idealism. I feel like this was a little interlude that maybe was needed as kind of a palate cleanser for this heavy ass album, but also at the same time, I don't think it was fully needed. Uh, Give me a weird, funky little um, synthesized piano thing, you know, give me just you musicians, no Tom York, and I'd be fine with it. I think this is fine. Just cut it in half. It's just too long. Like it it is. I get the little palate cleanser idea and, and the little one-liners are kind of unsettling and the, the way they're spoken and everything, but just, it just goes on for too long. Like if, if it was a minute long, sure. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind, but because it does go on for over two minutes, you're just sort of like, okay, yeah, I get it, it. it doesn't need to be two minutes. And I think just, I think they realized that it was getting a little bit boring, but maybe they felt like it was necessary and that's when you hear frozen winter shit and it makes you like, what? Uh, okay. Um, so Tom York said that he wrote it in 10 minutes after a period of writer's block, realizing that he had instantly created the most upsetting thing I've ever written. And I don't feel like it. I feel like it's one of the most skipped tracks he's ever written. Probably. Yeah. But Sorry, I will Tom. say, disagree I will you. say again, talking about sort of track listings and the, flow of the record i think electioneering uh electioneering am i saying it right yep um i I think so i I think that's how i've always pronounced it in my head okay Um, Okay. i don't think i ever said it out loud electioneering there i've broken my silence on it i don't know there you go uh good placement for this one because this one rocks a little bit more than the past two or three tracks that we've gotten so i think it was smart to come out of that with a little bit more of a again uh, i I hesitate to call it a rock song because it's still kind of trippy and weird but it has a little bit more of 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 a groove and uh, a rock tone to it than the previous three or four so electioneering is one of the heaviest tracks that Radiohead has ever written. It does, you know, it does groove a bit more like you were saying. Um, It's definitely more of a, if I feel like it would belong more on 
Pablo Honey before this. It does. Yeah, it does. It but feels, it, it's that vibe better. It's a carryover. It's a, it's a leftover. I don't, I don't know if it actually is. That's just how I feel about it. So it sounds like it could have been something they were working on and then they kind of, okay, computered it up a little bit and put it on this record. And what's strange about this song is it's not my favorite, but I always find myself grooving to this song. Like I always feel this song, but this is where this album really starts to fall off for me. I feel like the front half of this album is really strong. I feel like the back half is not the back third, I guess is not. And it's about halfway through this song. I kind of lose it. I, I kind of lose it nine, overall. Nine, 10, 11 and 12. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> not for me. I understand like in all four of those songs, there are bits and pieces that I acknowledge are good, but as songs from start to finish, None of those four are songs that I want to listen to again. They're just, I especially, especially the tourist. Like for me, that is just boring. And again, Part of that's my fault. Part of that is what I like to listen to. Part of that is from a musician's standpoint, there's nothing going on there. Yeah, this this whole section of the record, a matter of fact, this morning, kind of getting prepared for this, I, li- I started backwards. I started Ooh. at track 12. That's interesting. I haven't done that left. before. I'm going yeah. to do that. And to be honest with you, I didn't get very far on that experiment, but it almost might work better for me. Because I feel like the album will gradually step up if you go that way. Because going this direction, whew, the, the last couple songs on here are a slog for me. So, climbing up the walls. takes too long it takes three minutes at three minutes is when the climax of the song happens that mm. is too long for a build-up for me it's just it's and his it's voice is just oh I, I can't do it on this one i understand he's a lead singer but i needed to be a more well-placed sparing lead singer if that makes sense yeah. you know this so climbing up the walls the only things I really have to say about it is it does feel like, and go back and listen to it with this in mind. It feels like it would be right at home on a horror movie soundtrack. It, yeah. I, yeah, I, I hear that. And I feel like that was what they wrote it for. You know, it, it yeah. feels like there. So where was, we got the exit uh, movie music. Uh, mm-hmm. This one feels like it should be in the like beginning, I guess. And, and then, and I mentioned this earlier, the next song, no surprises. The little guitar like line at the beginning is beautiful and it sounds familiar for some reason. I don't know if it's just because I've, I've heard this song before or if it's borrowing something from a sort of like a nursery rhyme kind of song or something. 
But then as soon as he starts singing, it is so like monotone and that it just sucks the the joy out of it. I, I don't I don't know what he's going for. It doesn't work for me. So no uh no surprises. I love the chorus of the song. I don't love mm-hmm. the song overall. It's yeah. not really a song that jumps out at me. And I feel like this song sounds like if Paul McCartney wrote Nursery Rhymes. Yeah, but if Paul McCartney was singing this song, I would immediately like it a thousand times better. That's fair. That's fair. I uh, I personally don't really like Paul McCartney's voice, his current voice. I like his Put younger it this voice. Way. If it was sung by a vocalist who was trying to make it like I feel like I feel like on this song he's purposely trying to sound that way with his vocals like he wants it to be I don't want to say unpleasant but he doesn't want it to be poppy and catchy and whereas if you had a guy like so funny that we're doing a radio head to Paul McCartney thing here yeah but not necessarily Paul McCartney but a guy that had a more understanding uh, like trying to write a pop song it would go over but like uh, the, for example a contemporary like if dave grohl was singing that mm-hmm. or even kurt cobain was singing that like i feel like this would have been a song i would have really enjoyed but because of the vocal delivery i just ugh, it does it rubs me the wrong way <laughs> so okay let's round out the album by talking about number 12 the tourist So, yes, we have to. We're going to. Because I think it's an important thing when we're talking about an album to talk about the bookends of the album. Well, let me just say, you skipped Lucky, yeah. and that's fine. We can skip yeah, Lucky. I don't. I have no attachment to Lucky. In fact, when I was listening to it for this, I don't ever remember really hearing Lucky before because the end of this album drops off for me. Yeah. But I took another listen to every track. And the tourist, the tourist is a waltz. As slow and boringly as possible. Yes. Yeah. It's a waltz prog rock song. They occasionally hit these notes that I find interesting, but it is so slow and Mm. meandering that I just, I'm, I fall asleep. Like it's hard for me to even pay attention to it because it's so farce. I don't know. Like I, again, I get why people like it. I can understand why someone would listen to that song and that song speaks to them. I have no nostalgic attachment to it. So coming into it as a musician, that's, that's kind of what I'm focusing on. And it's just dull and unlively. So I, I think this is one of the, I feel like the, the uh, rhythm section of, of uh, Radiohead overall deserves more praise. I, I do. And this one, the fact that he uses brushes, you know, you could definitely hear brushes and uh, the triangle is rather prominent, I think is an interesting choice. But this was actually one of the things I was referencing in the very beginning when I was talking about Tom York savors 
and chews on every syllable. And that's what he does here. And the thing about it is I had to really listen to this track from the standpoint of it being a closer to the album. And I actually think it's a great closer to the album because like I said in the beginning, this album feels anxious and paranoid. And this song closes with that same feeling. You can see that. If this is a song you're going to put on your record, I don't know where else you put it. Right. Uh, it's it's so long and, like I said, meandering that you can't put it in the middle of your record. So this, honestly, honestly, this almost feels like it was written to be the last song. That's fair. You know, I get that. I, I feel like this wasn't, you know, I feel like some records are written, hey, we've got 25 songs Let's cut it down to 12 or 15. Let's pick our best. Yeah. And then we'll just kind of slot them in in a way that feels pretty good. Where this this feels more like, hey, guys, I got this idea of how we can close the record. I've got this song. And, you know. So in, in title only, I feel like exit music would have been better. Sure. So sure. in title yeah. only. I, and. I like its placement because it's after that block and what the song feels like to me. So no. yeah, but I I'm with you that this does feel like it was written as a closer, mm-hmm. but it, his, his vocals really great my nerves on that one because he does yeah. draw out everything, everything, everything. And it's just, come on, man, just pick it up. You know, I do know that Tom York has a great voice when he uses it in certain ways. But he does have a great range, but he doesn't use it in the way that he should. Because I've heard him do vocals on other people's stuff, and Mm -hmm. I've heard great vocals from him, but not here. Not here. So just kind of, you know, starting to get into the general thoughts and ranking here at the end. uh, I want to say thank you for bringing this record up, because I feel like when it comes to nineties alternative, there's several bands that I listen to a lot of. And even if I'm not super familiar with their entire catalog, there was a record or two that I owned and, and, you know, really listened to or, or whatever. Um, and Radiohead was always sort of a, a bare spot. It was yeah. one that the singles didn't do it for me. So I never really delved deeper and, because of you bringing this up, I listened to Pablo Honey and this one. My personal taste, Pablo Honey is more my speed. I think that's a, a really good like alternative rock record. And I can appreciate where they're going with this one. Like I, I see what they're aiming for. And again, that's something else that we have to take into consideration about these records. This was 1997. Not yeah. a lot of bands, especially coming out of that more simple you know, alternative pop rock kind of sound that they had were going this weird that fast. So I, I do appreciate listening to it and I do appreciate what they were striving for. here. So I feel like the early nineties was kind of like a two, four with distortion. And this is like an eight seventeen, <laughs> and because <laughs> it's just, it it's all over the place. I don't know. It just, it, the beginning of the nineties was, you know, really pulling out of punk and trying to separate itself from glam rock. And it was trying to pull in something new. And so it was still very basic. And one of the reasons why I like it is it's basic. It's straightforward. It's rock and roll, man, but it's not complicated. 
And then it was almost like when Kurt Cobain died, we saw things get a little more complicated, a little more muddied waters. And then mm-hmm. this album comes out, and then it was like people went, we have a direction. Or excuse me, not this album, this year came around, because there was a lot of good music in this year. But, yeah. you know, you had the 311 transistor bouncy end mm-hmm. of technical, you know, uh, progression. And then you had this that was the sad and depressed technical progression. And I think that they... I think that both ends of the spectrum kind of really push things forward. So, so all right, go on. Another, uh, I was just going to say, and I want to make sure I've got the uh, dates correct, but I'm pretty sure I do. Um, yeah. So right around this time, 97, 96, you know, that's when you started seeing the new metal stuff start to mm-hmm. poke its head out too. Right. And do I hear a lot of that in here? No, of course not. Um, but you can hear other bands borrowing from it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you can hear some Radiohead in stuff like early Deftones, even in like, you know, $3 Bills, y'all by Limp Biscuit came out in 97. And there is some, for what they're known for now, that first album has some weird, dark, spacey nonsense going it, on. It does. So it was a very I, experimental I, album. It was. And I think you're right. I think 1997 was kind of a, was an interesting year. I think from Radiohead and the 97, where they were incorporating a lot more electronic sounds into the, what was pushed off of the electronic sound from the eighties. We saw a lot of that uh, put into it. And then we saw new metal follow it right behind it. And I think from the early nineties to this year, this this little era that exists to the 98 to 2002, I feel like all of those things combined is what got us emo. Yeah, and, and you know, talking about adding the electronics and stuff, you know, late 90s, early 2000s is when you saw the, the new metal craze where everybody had a DJ or a right. synth player. And again, was that a one-to-one from Radiohead to that? Maybe not, but 1997, you know, this era of bleep and bloop alternative rock. Bleep and bloop. Def- yeah, definitely, definitely lends itself to that. Do you want to go ahead and do right. kind of our final thoughts well, here? Well, I was going to say, yes, this is a headphones album. Um, you can listen to it without it, of course, but you're going to get a lot more with headphones. So, And going back to what we said before, a good pair of over-ear headphones. So I'm kind of on the fence about that because to me, this is the kind of album that if it's on in the background while I'm doing stuff, it's fine. Because for me, there's not a whole lot that I need to focus on. It's just, especially those last three or four songs where it's just meandering, Tom York waddling over everything, whatever. And so for me, yeah, like there is some stuff going on that you won't pick up like nuance wise. But for me, I don't know that it warrants that much attention from me. Like I, it's it's fine to just be on. Yeah, no, I I get that, and and that's the thing that that's kind of what I was getting at is like you can listen to it other ways, but I think to fully immerse yourself into this album and get everything out of it, there are so many little nuances of things happening in different ears through headphones, like in the uh, the song I was talking about how he's harmonizing with himself and all. So. I want you to go ahead and give me your 
your closing statement on OK Computer first. Okay. So, Radiohead is not a band that I paid a lot of attention to in the 90s. I was familiar with the singles and the videos, but that was about as far as my knowledge reached. Pablo Honey was a much more straightforward alternative rock record, and that's more my speed. With OK Computer, Radiohead tried to expand on their sound, adding more complex song structures and unique trippy soundscapes to their sound. I feel like on some tracks, the band is more concerned with being weird than writing a good song, and those are the tracks that don't work as well for me. As a whole, I can see why this was popular, and you can clearly hear its influence on other bands from that era and even today. However, being someone who did not hear it when it first came out and hearing it over 20 years later, some of it sounds dated and not everything clicks for me. Judging it solely on its content and not its cultural significance, 1 to 10, I give it about a five and a half. Okay, and... You said something in there, and I actually thought about this halfway through. But what what song was it that the music video uh, had him with the bowl on his head and filling up with water? Was that was oh, no God. surprises actually? Yeah, that was off this album. Yeah, that was off this album. Oh, okay, okay. But there's a great little behind the scenes thing if you can find it, and I'll try to link it with this episode if I can find it. But I don't know where it is anymore. I don't know how long ago I saw it. But he actually did that that whole mm-hmm. thing, and. I would like to say he did it in one take, but it took about 30 takes to get there because he would get about, I don't know, halfway through it. Then he'd take a breath and like have to like pull the cord and like dump the water and be like, shit. Okay. All right. right. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. And eventually they were like, dude, we could just, we can make it look that way. He's like, no, 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 we're going to do this. So I appreciate Tom York's dedication in that, you know, okay, because that was like three minutes of just not breathing and water filling up and claustrophobia. So yeah, it doesn't make me feel good. No. All right. My rounding out this album, I get it. Radiohead rubs a lot of people the wrong way. The albums can drag out with a few tracks that catch the ear. A lot of people just find them cold, and Tom York's voice is not for everyone. Anytime a band like this comes along, a little uh, blowback is inevitable. I will admit they are dark and weird as a band, and that isn't for everyone. Their albums can sound like art installations, but... We live in a world where bands like Coldplay, Muse, and Keen took this sound and made it more radio-friendly. In cases like that, you couldn't be blamed to wonder, does the original stand up after all? Radiohead knows their way around a song. That's not, deba- that's not debatable. I messed up my, my word there. Anyway, they know how to build a song and a mood. Radiohead's rhythm section doesn't get a lot of attention, but they deserve a lot of credit. Each section of this band deserves more attention and is well-crafted alone. Together, each part made a great album, but better if you're a little sad and you like the start of things. Altogether, I gave this album a seven. So I feel like within our ratings, we should allow for uh, nostalgia points. (laughs) because (laughs) I know. I know, yeah, for I, sure. For I sure. feel like this album, I gave it a higher rating because I've lived with it for so long and because it meant a lot to me. I mean, in my you know depressed high school years, this album was on all the time. Yeah. But I don't go back to this album all the time. Right. You know, it's, it's not one I put on regularly. I can say that a few of the songs um, have made it to my liked playlist, but I think that they are... Uh, like the singles from it. I don't even know. It's been a while since I actually threw those on. Yeah. And, and to your point, 
you know, there's definitely albums that I really, really love that I definitely would would put in my my favorites that I just I got to be in the mood to listen to it. I can't right. listen to it all the time. Uh, one that I'm sure we will do on this show eventually is Darkest Days by Stabbing Westward. Actually, uh, actually, when you talked about uh, radio station earlier, they put yep. on a free concert downtown. I was there. I was there with that too. I, I was. I was there. That See, was my... Danger and Monster were in the same space before we actually knew each other. So. Okay, perfect segue. Check this out. That was my second big concert. The second big concert I ever went to was Stabbing Westward downtown, Winston Salem, free show. Okay, I'll be seeing Stabbing Westward in September at Blue Ridge. I'm excited. My first big concert was 311. Ah. In 1997. Okay. On the Transistor Tour. All right. Guess who their opening acts were? Who? Incubus. Yeah. And next week's episode. Yep. Sugar Ray. All right. I was going to ask you what album we're going to talk about next week, but Sugar Ray and what album? Floored. The most underrated album of theirs. Which, ironically enough, came out in 1997. Yep. So... I think right. I think that's going to be a fun fun one to talk about. All right, we will it'll get into a, Sugar Ray's Floored. Put it this way, it'll be a lot more fun than this album was. <laughs> it, it'll probably be a more fun episode to listen to and a more fun album to listen to because let's be honest, this is not a fun album. It's no, just it's you not. You can say a lot of things about Radiohead, but you can't call them fun. No. <laughs> um anxiety ridden is yeah. Anyway, Sad. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you listening for listening to this next this this newest episode, I guess, of uh, Breakdowns for Breakfast. Good morning, and uh, enjoy your day at work. We are still working on how to sign off. If you have a suggestion, shoot us <laughs> an email, uh, dangerandsarge at uh, gmail dot com. And yeah, thanks for listening. Bye. Later. <laughs>